this, this night's going to be awesome. Amen? So uh, I've been feeling burdened by this word. And uh, most guys in general, or m- most teachers of the Bible, people who are going to speak on Jesus, they'll avoid you know, theological controversies. They'll, they'll avoid those debates. And uh, tonight we're going to go head into one. Actually, three. So um, why not, you know? Might as well get it all out. But uh, I just feel just burdened that um, we do ministry as a team. And uh, this is not a pyramid leadership structure. I'm not the, the head. I, I look to all of our, our leaders here and such amazing people. And uh, so I'm going to actually ask... Uh, Eric and, and who else to, to pray over the word tonight. I just want the Lord's blessing over this word. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for all the powerful things that you have to teach us tonight. We ask you for revelation. Not just head knowledge, because that's not worth much. Not a deeper understanding of rules. But God, just such an understanding of your heart for us. Thank you, Lord, for all the people in this room who understand that. Take us all to a deeper level tonight. As Eric preaches, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys have your Bible, if you don't, no worries. We'll put it up on the screen. Uh, We're going to look in three different passages of of the Scripture tonight. We're going to start in Hebrews 10. And Hebrews is kind of uh, towards the end, so... And don't ever feel embarrassed. I don't know if like about you guys when it's like, turn to Revelation and you'd be like, mm, you know, going like this guy, trying to find it. It's towards the back. Don't worry. We all do it. But uh, Hebrews 10 is where we're going to start. And uh, we're going to look at a, a few different passages here. And uh, I just want to tell you guys that what our heart here is, is to build a culture that is connected to Christ's heart, the Father's heart. That is what we are all about. And in order for us to be connected to the Father's heart, we have to have an understanding of what the scripture tells us about the Father's heart. If you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about the armor of God. And we talked about how the sword is our, um, uh, is, is our, our offensive weapon. And, uh, but I also mentioned that you can follow the sword. We can look at scripture and we can actually be wounded by scripture. If we don't know the understanding of the context, we don't know what it really means. And one of the things I've been passionate about here is that we would always be just committed to the scripture, to the raw word of God. Because the word of God is liberating. It's not something to be afraid of. It releases truth, it releases freedom, and it is our call as a community to know what this book says because it unlocks the promises of the Father's heart. And we need to have confidence in our relationship with God. Who wants to have a relationship with God where we're always living in fear? We're kind of like a fearful generation where we we don't really know exactly how to respond and so fear is something that naturally comes to us and so it naturally comes in our relationship with God. We are fearing a lot of things. What is God's plan for me? What does God think about this and that and what about my sin and all these things? Is he really, really good? And there is a lie that is in our culture, that is in our generation. It's been passed on since since the the Old Testament and the, the forms of creation that God is not good. And the truth is that we need to come at the end of this scripture and even look at the the most difficult scripture I believe that the whole entire Bible has is we'll look tonight and be able to look at that and we say, God, you are good and we understand your word. Are you with me? Because the Bible says in 1 John that God is perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear involves punishment. How many of you have like in your heart have, have wondered like, God, I fear your punishment. I fear your judgment. That is not the heart of God. Yes, God is eternally just. He is eternally good and he's eternally merciful and all those things. And he will deal with evil and he will deal with us. He'll, he disciplines those who he loves, but he is good. And there is no fear as we come into sonship and daughtership with the king. And we, we seek to open that tonight. And so we're going to talk about a few things tonight. We're going to talk about three major kind of like big kind of like debatable issues in the church. And the first is the permanency of his covenant over us for our sins. The permanency that his blood covers us not only past but present, period. What does that mean? That means that do we, do you ever wonder like why do we always ask Jesus for forgiveness after we're saved? Did you know that you can look through the entire Bible? Don't, don't trust me. Look it up yourself. 
And Brian Orm said this, and I was like, there's no way. And it like kind of stirred me. Because we always like, when we mess up, we go and like, Jesus, forgive me. God, forgive me for this. And he's like, you know, it's not, it's not something that's supported in the New Testament. Paul, who wrote 75% of the New Testament, doesn't say it at all. Every single instance in the Bible talks about confessing your sins and repenting has to do with the moment of salvation. But after you are in Christ, after you're a son and a daughter, it never again says that you must confess your sins to God. It's a debatable issue. Brian Orm, he had such a huge conflict with that. There's a church that said, you can never come here again. Crazy. But we have to understand that God is good all the time. And that if he's good all the time, that his covenant is permanent. It covers us forever, period. Don't trust me, look it up. You can do a word search on repentance, forgiveness, confession, all those things. The only place that mentions it is confess your sins in James 5.16. It says, confess your sins to one another so that we would be healed and restored. I, I kid you not, I couldn't believe it. It's a new truth for me. And the second thing is the permanency of our salvation. We're gonna look at the permanency of his covenant over us. What does that mean? I'm gonna poke open the, the question, swat the hornet's nest that we cannot lose our salvation. And I'm gonna look at the most difficult passage that we have in the Bible about that very topic. I'm gonna show you how I see that the word of God proves and shows us and reveals the truth that we are eternally saved when we come into a daughter's and, and, and sonship and daughtership with the king. And the last thing is, what do we do if I burn my life to the ground? What eternal consequence is there if I am saved and I go and I completely jack it all up? What happens to me eternally? So we're gonna talk about those two things. Are you ready? I was thinking about this, the only two words I have for tonight is like buckle up. It's gonna be intense. And I want you to know like, there are theologians who've been debating these three topics forever. Don't trust me, check it out for yourself. Don't, don't look to me, don't, don't come up and just and start debating like, we, we're called to look at the scripture, we believe that Christ speaks to us individually. God says in Hebrews that, that he used to speak with prophets, but now that Christ is in us, he speaks directly to us through Jesus. It's awesome. And Jesus is going to reveal through revelation, where are you, Sean Lawrence, that he's going to re reveal truths about his scripture, that we have a divine connection with the king when we look at his word, that he's going to give us insights and revelation. So I'm sharing with you the revelation insights to these different scriptures. Enough already. Let's talk about it. So the first is the permanency of the covenant covering your sin. Last week we talked about uh, the blood of Jesus and we had a powerful communion service all together. It was amazing. And we talked about the blood of Jesus and what it does. So we're gonna take a look at one more time at this, which is chapter 10, verse one through four first. And it says, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, this is referring to Jesus, those things can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect, everyone say perfect, those who draw near. Those sacrifices made continually, they will never make perfect those who draw near. Who is that who draws near? It's you and I. We are the ones who draw near. The sacrifices made by, by bulls and goats will never make us perfect. They're in need of consistent and constant sacrifice. Verse two says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible, everyone say impossible, impossible. for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What we've just done right there and look at the Old Testament sacrifice, we've painted a perfect picture of what the sacrifice of Jesus is. Are you with me? That it is not a continual every single year reminding of us. It is a perfecting sacrifice over us. And it is once, once for all. And it takes away us, our sins from us. So when it's, it's just thrashing the Old Testament sacrifices, it's really painting a picture of what the perfect sacrifice is. Are you with me? Skip to verse 10. Verse 10 says, by this, this is referring to Jesus, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Everyone say once. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's the opposite. That's the old model. 
But he, Jesus, having offered one, everyone say one, one sacrifice for sins for all time. Everyone say all time. Sat down, which we remember from Ephesians that our position in Christ is sitting, that it is finished. Jesus sat down after it was done. Sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Are you with me? Everyone, if you have a Bible here, I don't care if you're listening online or watching a a rerun of this, you should like box that verse, verse 14, that for one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So just a few highlights. Remember the Old Testament. It was, it was in need of a con- continual offering, and it would remind us of our sins. That's the old model. The new model, Jesus, one sacrifice for all, for all time. And you know, I looked up like the Greek on all time, and I found something amazing. It means all time. Like, it wasn't that exciting. It was, like, it was really like one of those things like, oh, that's, that's really what it means, you know? Sometimes you find Greek words, we'll find tonight, like they have these, you know, other meanings and context, which is really cool. All time means all time. Are you with me? You're like, I don't know what to do. All time means all time. And perfected for all time. There's a powerful truth that we have been made perfected. But we don't feel that we're very perfect, do we? We're quick to look at all the things that have gone wrong in our life, all the the junk and all the things, and and we look at our life, and and perfect is the last word we would describe. But we know that through the blood of Jesus, he says, I have perfected you. It's absolutely critical. We know that our position in Christ, what he did for us, a one-time sacrifice, once, for all time, for all sins, perfecting you for eternity. Can I get an amen? Verse 15, it says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. Jesus, it says, I will make. Notice it didn't say that we will make. How can you have a covenant with one person? It doesn't take two. It takes two to dance, two to tango, all those things. It says, one, I made it. You're like, I don't remember making that covenant. Duh, because Jesus made the covenant unto himself on our behalf to God. We talked about how the Old Testament sacrifice that, you know, Abraham was with, Mo, uh, Abraham was with God and, uh, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And Abraham knew that the two of them would have to walk through these two halves of an animal, a sacrifice, signifying the ratification of that covenant. It takes two people. They walk between the, the sacrifice together. And what God did is he put Abraham over in a sleep and he sent a torch to go past through the sacrifice by himself, meaning that God had solidified a covenant unto himself. That means that even though you and I are unfaithful, he cannot break a covenant with himself. It's good. It says, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind I will write them. It means that I'm taking the law, I'm taking all those things that was passed on from word to word, from stone to stone, and I'm putting it in your heart. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. I'm giving you my presence And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. I will remember them no more. I will remember them no more. I'm trying to stress a point. (laughs) Anybody get what it is? A beautiful verse. I don't know who all in here is like, excited about memorizing scripture, but it's one of my, my passions and one of the most liberating verses that you can, I know, I pound the, the drum all the time, but one of the most liberating verses is Isaiah 43, 25. If you remember one verse in all of your life besides John three sixteen, make it this verse. We don't have it on the PowerPoint, I'll just tell it to you. It says, I am he who blots out your transgressions and for my sake, this is God speaking, for my sake, I remember them no more. Isn't that powerful? It's not because I pity you and I'm not going to remember them, but I really will remember them. Have you ever had someone who like says they forgive you, but they don't? You know, that's so annoying. You're like, oh, it's the worst. And Jesus is not even like, I feel so bad for you. I'm just going to like tell you I forgive you, but really like rub it in your nose. 
just like, for my own sake, I remember them no more. And so we need to get this, this mindset that when we get to heaven, that we see Jesus with this huge, like, rolled up newspaper and spanks us and rubs our nose in our stuff. That's not what's going to happen. If God says, I remember them no more for my own sake, then we come to face to face with eternity, we're not going to have this huge finger wagging us and tell us how bad we are and all the things we did wrong. Because we look at his word and it says, he doesn't remember it. Multiple places, it's great. It's awesome. So why do we live as though God is keeping score? Why is that? Flipping pages as I'm walking here. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Everyone say, no longer. That means there is no longer any sacrifice. There is no longer any blood that is shed. There is no more crosses. There are no more atonements. There's no more blood to be shed, okay? I'm like really breaking this down because it's really important that we get the permanency of the blood covenant for our lives. Are you with me? that Jesus paid it all once for all time, for all sins, for eternity, perfecting us, and for his sake, he remembers them no more, and there will not be another redo. It was finished. But we have this, this weird belief, and sometimes we do things we just never know why. You ever feel that way? Like, I have no idea why I always talk like this and do this, or something, you know? Why, if that is true, and everyone's like, amen, everyone's, you know, everyone's with me, right? I haven't seen anybody leave yet. If we're all with us, then, then why, if that is true, and we mess up, do we go, God, forgive me? There's a difference between repenting and forgiveness. Repenting means to change your mind, to change direction. Think of like a door you come in and you're like, it's locked. Or maybe the, the, the doorknob has been like synced up to electrical field and you're like, zap, you're like, Holy cow, I'm going to go over there. I mean, that, that is what repenting means. It means coming to knowledge and changing direction, changing thinking, changing everything. It's a big difference here. If we really believe that God had forgiveness, when we're asking God forgive me, because Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, what are we referring to? Are you with me? That we say, God, you did it for all time. We're, we're putting our sin in like kind of a pending mode, Right? You're kind of like, well, you know, I believe that God forgave me for all that other stuff behind there, but, you know, today and last week and, ooh, last night, ooh, that was a good one. You know, we, we put it in, like, this pending mode, and we're just like, all right, God, I have, like, you know, Tuesday open at four. Maybe I'll, like, you know, we can do our forgiveness deal. I, why do we do that? And I, I, I get the point because I, I know my wife loves me. And I might ask her to confirm it after the delivery room experience. <laughs> but I know that she loves me. But there's a something in me that also, even though I know that she loves me, sometimes I want to hear it. Sometimes I like hearing those words. And so in a single context, we, we must look at this. And I'm saying, never talk to God about forgiveness. But we should be reminding ourselves, God, you forgave me. And we, we, we sprinkle the blood of Jesus on our sin. We sprinkle the blood of Jesus on our insecurity, on our fear, on all those things. Are you with me? That we don't ask, God, will you? We say, God, thank you for what you did on the cross. I repent. I change the, the thinking. I change my mind. Because you know that at every sin, there's a lie that we are believing. Every sin, there is a lie that we are believing. And so we need to come to the realization, Lord, what is the lie that is in this sin? Did I give my body away because I believe I'm worth nothing? Did I give myself to this group of people because I wanted to feel included and I feel like a nobody? What is that? Every sin, there's a lie. And so when we come to the knowledge, we must say, God, that is the lie? You've already forgiven me, but you've given me some homework to find out what the lie is. So I'm going to find out. Come on. Love it. Repentance is to change the way you're thinking. Because we always think about it like, God, will you forgive me? And we kind of wait. A fascinating thing that rocked my world this morning, I went and reread the story of the prodigal son. You know, like the, the son that... Uh, Holy said, I want my inheritance now. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go 
take it on my own. And he goes and he just melts his life down, right? You find him eating out of like the, the troughs of like the pigs. And, and then he comes back, he, he comes to a realization. He repents, right? He changes directions and he goes back to his father. And what does he do? The first thing out of his mouth that he's speaking of, he's like, I am unworthy to be called your son. You know how profound that is when we think about our sin is that our first inclination, even thousands of years later, the first thing that we think of when we've sinned is that I am not worthy to be God's son or daughter. I am not worthy to be called a Christian after what I have done. And so the next thing he says, he's like, maybe my father will take me back as a worker. As a worker, do you see that there's a, a fight for the identity of the son, that I'm not worthy to be a son, I will be his worker, I'll be his slave. And how many of us, when we look at our sin, we look at things we've done bad, and we think, I have to do something in response. It is the same thing as the prodigal son. That we question our identity, we question if we're really legitimate, we question if we're really God's sons or daughters. And we say, instead, I'll go to work for you. I'll build seven churches in your name, whatever it is. We find ourselves reverting back to that. Powerful thing, I encourage you guys to reread this story. The son goes up to the father. And it's interesting, because it's not like the father's like kicking back, like, you know, watching ESPN. And, oh, oh, hey, son, you know, like it says, while the son was still far off, like way out, the father was already looking for him. First, before then the son could see the father, the father saw the son and started running after him. And the most powerful thing is the son makes his confession, asks for forgiveness. I have sinned against you. Do you remember what the, the father's response was? It wasn't, I forgive you. I accept your, you know, your father. He wasn't like, I accept. He's like, let's celebrate. He completely ignored what the son had requested. The father completely ignored the request for the son to have forgiveness from the father and said, let's celebrate. I'm gonna put the ring on your finger. I'm gonna get my best robe. I'm gonna kill the fattened calf. Why don't we have parties like that anymore? <laughs> so much better. It's awesome. And the truth we have to lock onto on this the truth right here is that there is no reconciliation where there is record of wrongs. There is never true reconciliation when there is a record of wrongs. I don't care what context you're talking about. In order for there to be true reconciliation, there cannot be a record of wrong. The father wasn't like, didn't rub his nose in it, didn't judge him, didn't say, I accept, you are forgiven. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, let's celebrate because he remembered them no more. For the Father's sake, he remembered them no more. Are you with me? Are you guys ready for the most difficult passage in the entire Bible? Jesus, help. You're in, you're in Hebrews 10. Flip back to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6. We're going to take in a, a couple little tiny chunks. And this is about our salvation. And the, the first thing I want to mention, we should never, ever, ever, ever speculate upon someone else's salvation. We should only be in agreement with our own. The moment that we are speculating, is this person saved? We need to repent, change our thinking, and stop doing it. We have no jurisdiction, no right, no authority, no place. Heaven forbid anybody ever questions, are you really saved? Because Jesus says, I look at the hearts of man. We can't look at the hearts of man. Only God knows. So as, as we talk about this, I'm not going to, there's, there's no fruit in debating, well, I have a brother and this one's happened. It is a totally fruitless conversation. I'm just talking about the word of God here. Chapter six, verse one. It says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Everyone say maturity. Not laying again. Everyone say again. Again, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, comma. Of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
The comma there is to separate, let's forget about that, let's focus on these other things. Let's talk about baptism and laying on the hands of prayer and the resurrection that we have eternal life and that we will spend eternity with Jesus. But previously there, he says, let us think like adults about Christ for a moment here. We talk about that the Bible is, uh, is, we have like spiritual milk and we have spiritual meat. This is a T-bone steak right here. That we must come together and say, okay, God, I realize there's, there's people who believe different things about Jesus, but we are going to focus in on the legitimate, the truth, the, the full power of the truth and lay aside all the other things. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, you know, had sheep around him and, you know, all these little kids and all that stuff. Like he's like, we're going to talk about mature ideas about Christ, the truth. And it says maturity is our goal. Notice how it says, don't lay again a foundation. Foundation is a metaphor used over and over and over about salvation. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 3 in a second because Jesus says, I am the foundation. You notice about the, the man who builds his house on sand or rock? It talks about Jesus is a sure foundation. Foundation is a metaphor for salvation. Are you with me? It says, so let us not again lay a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, what are dead works? Do we, do we think as dead works, like when you, you think of that, maybe you think that, you know, some guy comes up and he's like, I just wrote a $50,000 check to charity. Look at me, you know? And you're like, that wasn't really necessary. You know, and it's, it's a, a works to bring me glory. That's what I think when I think of Christian works. But that, that dead works is sinful practices. I'm saying, let, is not, let us not lay again a foundation of repentance a salvation, a repentance of salvation, if you will, from our sins and a faith towards God. Are you with me? That the foundation is salvation. So you, you can understand this. We do not need another repentance of salvation. Jesus is the foundation. And to think otherwise, he's saying, is to think of Jesus in an elementary way. Now for the hard part. Look at, I'm going to read verse 4 through 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him open to shame. How many of you are like, oh, dear father? They're like, I wish you never showed me that verse. I know people who are like, they'll read this like, let's go back and read about Jesus loving us over here. You know, like we, we come across these things and we're just like, I don't know. So we're just going to pretend like I didn't read that. Let me liberate you with this verse. Can I do that? This is the most scary verse in the whole entire Bible. I believe. So we know that it says, we shall not again lay a foundation of repentance. We will not again lay a repentance of salvation. Are you with me? The foundation is our salvation. It says, for those who have once been enlightened, have, have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, the powers of the age to come, that's miracles, are saying you've tasted the Holy Spirit, you've come to his knowledge, you've come to salvation, all those things. It sounds like someone is saved, Right? You'd, you'd read that and you're like, oh, that guy's kind of saved. If, that, if that's a description of you, you'd think that person is saved. So we have an issue because then it says it is impossible to renew them to repentance. Why? We're like, oh, this sounds heavy. It says if that person falls, what happens? And the, the, the Greek tone on this is totally hypothetical. So we need to take that with a grain of salt. But there is a specific word, and this is in, in verse uh, 6. It says, and then have fallen away. And fallen away means that they've gone. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Renew them again. There's this clever little Greek word. If we can show it up here. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to get us all super nerdy, but it's really important that we understand that Renew. Because the truth in this scripture is all in this single word. And it's that word. I'm not even going to try to say that. But it's two parts. And it's again to renew. Again to renew. It's not just like bring them back. It is again to renew. And definition is new, but qualitatively different. 
Are you with me? New, but qualitatively different. And it's, it's saying that once you've come to Christ, it is impossible for you to have a new, but qualitatively different salvation. You've already had one salvation, which is final, remember? All sins are paid for for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. That was our repentance, that was our conversion. And it's saying it is impossible to have a different, but qualitatively new salvation, a new cross, a new conversion. Are you with me? It is impossible when someone has come into Christ and is saying it's impossible for them to get resaved. You can be oversaved, but you can't be resaved. It's a different kind of repentance. It's referring to that if you fell away, if you totally burned your life to the ground and you come back and you think you've lost your salvation, you by this context are saying that Jesus needs to get back up on the cross. Are you with me? He's saying it is impossible for Jesus to get back on the cross because he did it once, he did it for all time and he did it for you and he remembers it no more. When you come to him with that sin, when you come to him saying, Jesus, I'm about to crucify you on the cross again with my sin, he's like, what sin? I'm off the cross and I don't ever have any intention to get back on there. Thank you. <laughs> that is what it's saying. Are you with me? Do you see how this is liberating? Do you see how this is like, oh, that's awesome. It is impossible for me ever to be re-saved. It's awesome. It's a bummer news if you want to be unsaved because God has a plan that he wants to draw his people back to him. And we're going to look at what happens when you burn your life to the ground here in a moment. Flipping pages again. And just so you don't think I'm, I'm manipulating some Greek words here, check us out. Don't, don't believe me. It is impossible to renew them again to a salvation to a new cross, to a new restoration, a new perfection, you get the idea? Since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him open to shame. It's kind of a weird verse, right? You're like, it sounds holy, but I have no idea what it means. Who knows Galatians 2.20 in here? What is it? I have been crucified with Christ. Now that's kind of funny because it says that they again, remember this is a double time, again would have to crucify, we're talking about a second cross, themselves to the Son. And that would make no sense if you didn't know that Galatians 2.20 promises that we were crucified with Christ on the cross. Are you with me? It's saying you cannot have another cross, you cannot have another repentance, another salvation because you were crucified with Jesus on the cross and you're not gonna get back up there either. This is the truth of the word of the Lord. He's like, I have made it permanent, I've made it final and to do otherwise would to shame the cross. That's that last part. And to put him open to shame. And what does that mean? When something doesn't work, we feel bad about it. And when we say, I need to be resaved, I need to, I need to make sure my salvation is really real, it's saying the cross didn't work. Was the cross not big enough? Was the cross not powerful enough? Was the blood of Jesus not powerful enough for your sin and for what you did? That is what you're saying. By you saying that my sin is, is too big for the cross, you are putting the cross to shame. And that is the accurate way to put it. When you think I can never come back after what I have done, you are putting the cross to shame. You're saying that that blood that shed on the cross was cheap blood. And God's saying, I did it once. I did it for all time. I did it so we wouldn't have to have this discussion. <laughs> because if we, were, if we were able to be re-saved, we would invalidate the cross because we would demand for another cross. That is the truth there. Are you with me? Did anybody left behind? It's important that we have this little nugget. We should write whatever notes we need to do around that word renew and have the idea, again, the cross is what it's referring to. Not that you can be unsaved and then resaved. You can be oversaved, you just cannot be resaved. All right. And the idea there is that it is impossible to renew something that has been renewed forever. Remember how it talked about that we are perfected? If you are perfected, how are you re-perfected? It doesn't make any sense. 
You've been perfected in Christ. And that is the, the state that you will always be in in the eyes of Jesus. And so it is impossible to re-perfect something that's been eternally perfected. Amen? That's probably why Jesus said in John 10, 28, that they will never be able to snatch them out of my hands. We look at those verses and we're like, eh, I look at the Hebrew verse and that's a little more condemning, so I'm going to believe that one instead. But these two actually really complement each other. The two are really compatible and makes total sense. You cannot be resaved. But, the person will say, you didn't keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Are you guys doing okay? Is this meat? All right. Verse 7, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But, it ye- but if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. What does that sound like? What does something sound like being burned? Anytime something's like being tossed into fire, what does it sound like? Hell. I <laughs> heard someone say, ouch, which I agree. It says, ouchy, you know. We think it's pretty clear. And the context, let's see, in, in verse 7 says, for the ground that is, is drinking up the rains and is producing vegetation, that, we can say that's a field. Ground that produces vegetation, a crop that's to be harvested, it's a field. Are you with me? And so he's saying, if a field produces a crop, it brings a blessing to those who, who till it and work it, and it brings a blessing to God. It's awesome. It says, but if it doesn't, if it yields thorns... It is close to being cursed and will be burned. And so what the enemy wants to do right now in your mind is to say, unless I do great things with my life, I'm going to hell. Unless I do great and awesome things, I am going to go into a place where there's some fire. And so we we look at those two verses together and we say, oh man, I can lose my salvation and if my life doesn't amount to anything, I'm going to be burned in hell. That's not the Father's heart. Because that would say that that God is not good all the time. Are you with me? And so we look at that and we think, oh man, if a field does not produce a good crop, it's going to be burned, it's going to go to hell. But it seems to suggest that if I'm saved, there has to be some other fire. There has to be something else. There has to be something else that's in here. So it begs the question, what happens? All of us are saved, right? Maybe. Who knows? We hope so. If there's not, oh man, party time. Let's do this. I'll go back to that. But if we burn our lives to the ground and we're saved, what happens? What happens? Now we're in the context now where we've boxed in, are you with me? That Christ Christ died for sins once for all, for all eternity, all perfection, right? I'm pounding this in. The second is that we cannot lose our salvation. We can never be re-saved because we cannot have another cross And so now we look at at circumstances where the fruit doesn't produce, and so then it it faces flames. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would a field be burned if it doesn't produce a crop? Turn with me now, and this is our last verse, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn to the left, several books. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's, what does that say? Field. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Now, keep that there, because we're going to connect these two in a second. And we're going to skip to verse 11, just for clarity's sake. For no man can lay a foundation, remember foundation, our salvation, other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our salvation. He's our foundation. You with me? Here's that other link. It's important. These, all these metaphors are connected. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation, this is your salvation, if anyone builds upon your salvation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, comma, 
Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with what? Fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. This is in heaven. And you're like, there's fire in heaven? That's kind of weird. I didn't know that. We always equate fire with hell. And living water with Jesus. Interesting, huh? We are God's field. And what we build, what we produce on top of the salvation, our foundation, will be tested by fire. Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. A reward. How many of you guys are like, I didn't know there were gifts and prizes in heaven. This is awesome. I mean, don't we all think that like, isn't salvation a reward? Isn't like, we won't be in hell is our reward? No. Isn't that lame? We're not selling fire insurance. Like, we're not going to do like salvation because you won't burn. Like, it's such a lame way to live. It's saying that if any man's work remains, whatever you build upon your foundation, the workings of your life, are you with me? That whatever you build upon that, it'll be tested by fire. And whatever remains, you'll receive a reward. Man, for someone who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence with a word, I would like to know what his reward looks like. I would really like to know when Jesus issues a reward, what that entails. I imagine it's more than the dirt bike that I really want right now. <laughs> just saying. I imagine it's just, you know, a little bit better than that, that car or whatever. I mean, we have to look at this and say, wow, if we steward our life, if we build upon the life that Jesus has given us, the salvation, if we build upon something of it that is eternal, that lasts, then we're going to receive a reward. Sweet. Love that. Can I get an amen? amen? So that means that you minister to somebody. You talk to someone about Jesus. You, you become a representation of Jesus to this world. You do things that are eternally significant. That Jesus is like, I keep track of that all day long. All day long, I keep track of all the wonderful things that you do in my name. Not because I want to penalize you for what you didn't do, but because I cannot wait to issue a reward. So the question is, what kind of reward do you want on the other end of eternity? We don't do works to medicate and atone our sin and to get us into salvation. We do great things because it glorifies the king and also because God says, I, I'm a generous boss when it comes to issuing rewards and bonuses. He's like, don't test me how good my rewards are. It's awesome. Verse 15. And if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be what? Saved. Yet as through fire. Your Bible might say, as escaping the flames. Are you with me? That we can completely burn our life down. We can completely build a facade that is just the most ugly thing filled with whatever. But if we are in Christ, if we are really saved, which only Jesus knows, he only knows your heart. Because I could pull someone up and I could hold a knife to them and I can say, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they're not going to be saved. It's, it's got to be something in their heart. Totally lost what I was just thinking. I was all excited about the knife. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's lost. Darn it. It was going to be good. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Here it is. Yet as through the fire. As that means that, that God loves us so much. He's so good all the time that you made that heart covenant with him. His contract, his covenant immediately became ratified that he can never break. Because again, right? One sacrifice for all time, for all eternity, for all sins, past, future, present. His covenant, when you get there to heaven, still remains. He's like, you might not have anything to show for it, and actually, you just escaped the flames, but you're still my son, and you're still my daughter. And I wish I could have given you a reward, but I can't. And that's a bummer. That's what I fear about at the end of, of eternity. I, I fear the knowledge of what I missed. I fear the reward I could have had. 
And so it's not selfish for us to live life saying, God, I want a reward for this life, the sacrifices I'm making, the purity that I'm choosing. I'm so thankful I was able to, to give my wife my purity and she was able to give me hers. It is such a reward, such a treasure. And I look at that and I, I go back to when I was like 21, I was like, this sucks, you know? But I think that God is like, hmm, I have, you know, the extra star for you on that one. Now, I don't know, like, but I'm, I'm looking at like, God, I honored you in this. And so I look to your word and I see the promise that there'll be reward. So now that makes a whole lot of sense that Hebrews 6 verse, it says that that which does not produce a good crop, which blesses God, shall be burned. Now, we are what? God's field. We are God's field. It says that what is produced would be burned, that we wouldn't be burned. Are you with me? Do you see how these two connect? That we, we, what we produce with our life, that might get burned up, but we ourselves are saved. It doesn't say that God brings in TNT and blows the earth to smithereens. Is <laughs> that you will escape as though through the flames. What you produce with your life will be judged by fire, but you will be saved. There's a, there's a very important distinction, are you with me? That there's a, a difference between who you are, God's son and daughter, and what you do. God is judging them differently. You are, there's a judgment for your soul that you are saved. Are you God's son or daughter? Do you, have, uh, do, you, do you have the blood of Jesus on you when you come to the gates of eternity? And second, there will be the judgment of what did you do? Is there a reward to give? And so what we, we have to know is that we cannot let our mess-ups, our mistakes, portray onto us a false identity. Because you remember the prodigal son, when he messed up, he's like, I'm not worthy to be the son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And so we look at our, our, our stuff, and we need to know that the first thing our inclination is to do is to question who we are. We can never let our sin tell us who we are. We must live from who we are and behave and act like children of the king. Are you with me? I'm gonna close with this and have the band come up. There's something interesting about a field being burned. I'm like barely almost not a redneck because I grew up on a farm. Anybody else grow up on a farm? I see some people here. It's great. I mean, we would build fires that would like be illegal in like 49 other states. I mean, we would do such crazy things. And so we had hay fields, we had everything. And any of you guys who are from the country, you know that farmers will do kind of a weird thing every so often. Do you remember what they do? They burn the fields. That crazy? You're like, there's a fire on South River Road, someone call it, you know. And you call them like, yeah, they have a permit, it's, you know, farmer bean sack, he's, you know, doing this or whatever. Like, you're like, oh, okay, so, all right. Well, I just, I just where there's fire, you know, there's danger. Fire does not always mean hell. Fire does not always mean danger. And I called my, my dad this morning because my dad is just awesome. And I said, awesome dad. Can you articulate for me what the biblical parallels are when Hebrews 6 says that our fields will be burned and also talks about farmers and how they burn fields? He's like, easy. He says, over time, you have a great crop that started, but eventually you get weeds and you get what is called chaff. It looks like regular hay or weed or whatever, but it's not. And after cultivating it for a long time, the, the, the ground grows sour, if you will. The ground ceases to produce legitimate fruit. It ceases to be productive. And so what the farmer does is he torches it. He's not blowing up the earth, but he is getting rid of all the impurities. And what happens in that fire is it restores that ground as if it was fertile ground, as if you like brought compost and the richest soil into the field. And the next year it produces an amazing harvest. Anytime a field struggles to produce a harvest, the farmers burn it. Are you with me? Are you, are you catching this? That sometimes we can have a life that lives and it's totally chaff, it's, it's totally broken fruit, it's totally just miserable. We've done all the wrong things. And life is the other fire judgment. There's a fire judgment for what we do with life, but I believe here on earth that we experience the flames of life 
as sometimes we burn life to the ground. And that's called brokenness. Brokenness is the smell of a farmer's field that he just burned. And it's amazing because in that moment of brokenness, God is ready to say, oh, this is perfect. Because now the field, where the field, the field has been made perfect for the harvest for next year. And it's ready for this new infusion of my word. It's, it's ready for everything to come back. And it's gonna bring life. And oftentimes, the, 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 the crop that comes from a burned field gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's bigger than it ever has been. So don't think that your testimony that God will ever let it go to waste. In fact, he will use those ashes, the, the ashes of the burned field to be the fertilizer for the life that you're about to live. He says that he will exchange our ashes for what? Beauty. Are you with me? Isn't this awesome? Isn't the word of God so amazing? And we need to have an understanding that we, we come into the word and we say, God, that verse stinks on ice, but I want to know what the truth is there because I believe your truth is for liberating, not for condemning. And the central lie in all of this, all of this, there's one central lie, is that God is not good all the time. And God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I went to a Baptist church and they would say that at the end of every service. Anybody, anybody else's Baptist church do that? God is good all the time and everyone, and all the time, right? So why don't we like notify our brain and our heart of these truths? It's important we look at these truths and we, we don't walk away as if we just forgot ourselves. It says that a man cannot look in a mirror and forget his face. You're like, oh, I don't know what you look like. I mean, we look at this and we gotta say, God, transform my life through these truths. Transform my life through these truths because you are good all the time and I refuse for us to ever give you anything different than that. Why don't we all stand? And we're going to do some ministry here. We have a couple songs. If you need to go, so be it. You're going to miss out on a blessing. But if, if you are in here and you're like, I am not quite sure that I have walked in the truth that God is good all the time. I'm not sure I have lived or am right now living in the context that I am really forgiven. That there is only need for one cross, that the one cross is enough. If you're living in a context where you are wondering what happened because I burned my life down, will there be a harvest? If any of these truths move your heart, we have amazing people that wanna pray for you. And what they're gonna do is they're gonna pray for you and they're gonna speak life and they're gonna speak identity and truth over you. So. And so we have a couple songs and so I think we're gonna have our prayer partners to the the sides and this is a powerful time for us to take ground that the enemy has taken from us the enemy is one who wants to steal kill and destroy and so maybe he's stolen and taken and destroyed part of your life and so for us to restore that where two or three are gathered which there's a lot more than that Jesus is here and he's going to restore all that was taken let's worship